Good morning and welcome to this Euractive virtual conference. My name is Sean Goulding Carroll. I'm a journalist who covers transport and environment issues, and I'll be the moderator for this discussion. Today's event is supported by the Cobalt Institute and is titled Battery Powered Future How Can the EU Ensure Electric Vehicles Drive the Green Transport Revolution? So, the shift to electric mobility and an increased reliance on handheld devices has seen the demand for batteries in Europe surge, leading to a renewed focus on how and where these batteries are produced. The European Commission has introduced new legislation aimed at boosting European battery production while strengthening sustainability standards. The proposed EU battery regulation sets ambitious recovery and recycling targets and seeks to tackle environmental and social issues within the battery supply chain. A particular focus is placed on the extraction of the raw materials needed to produce batteries, including cobalt, lithium and nickel. It's estimated that the EU will need nearly 60 times more lithium and 15 times more cobalt by 2050 compared with the current supply. Today, we'll discuss how EU regulation can ensure green, ethically produced batteries and spur global innovation in the field. But first, I'd like to introduce today's panelists. I'm delighted to be joined by Rosalina Petrova, a member of the Cabinet of EU Environment Commissioner Virginia Sinkovicius, James Copping, a Policy Officer with the European Commission's DG Grow, uh, MEP Antonius Manders, a member of the European Parliament's Internal Market and Consumer Protection Committee, Alex Keynes, Clean Vehicles Manager with the mobility NGO Transport and Environment, uh, Emma Kendrick, Professor of Energy Materials at the University of Birmingham, and Adam McCarthy, the President of the Cobalt Institute. So to kick off, I'll invite each panelist to provide a short opening statement, which will be followed by a Q&A session. Uh, this Q&A session will include questions uh, submitted by our viewers. So if you have a question for our panelists, you're warmly encouraged to submit it through the chat. So firstly, I'd like to give the floor to Rosalina Petrova. Rosalina, your opening statement, please. Thank you and good morning, everybody. Uh, first of all, let me thank Euroactive and the Cobalt Institute for organizing this debate. It, it, it's timely, as always, uh, discussions on the green transitions are, but in particular on batteries, because we are uh, in the middle of uh, the negotiations uh, as regards uh, the Commission proposal that was uh, presented uh, uh, in December last year. Actually, why the Commission presented this uh, proposal last year is uh, because we, uh, our motto, let's say, is that the green future has to be powered by uh, green batteries. And that's why uh, we presented a proposal, which was actually the first action under our new circular economy action plan that was truly innovative because it covered the whole life cycle of a product. Uh, earlier in new legislation, we had uh, uh, regulated other product requirements or uh, the waste phase. And those 
two uh, life cycle phases uh, have in a way been treated more or less apart. In this proposal, we cover truly the whole life cycle chain from sustainable sourcing of the raw materials that have to go in our green batteries uh, through the production um, and uh, all the carbon footprint that batteries have through the use life and then uh, through the disposal and, and uh, then uh, actually feeding uh, uh, the, the raw materials back into the economy through the recycled content uh, requirement. So it's, it's a truly innovative proposal and has many new things in it. There is green public public procurement requirements uh, uh, and then um, uh, uh, mandatory requirements on, on performance of, of batteries so that we actually have uh, the best batteries and then uh, at the EU market and, and also uh, that the sustainability of batteries grows as their number grows also on the market. So that's, that's a very important uh, um, proposal for us uh, it's uh, uh, it breaks new territory it will also inform the new sustainable product policy initiative that we want to present uh, um, as soon as possible uh, in the beginning of uh, next year and we also bring uh, uh, all those requirements in the digital age by having a new data space where uh, uh, informations on batteries will be available also to the public and uh, we also introduced the idea of batteries passport so a lot of new exciting things and we really hope that uh, the negotiations on this proposal will progress as soon as possible so that we can have the new framework kicking in and making a real difference on the ground thank you thank you very much rosalina um now i'll give the floor to james copping james the floor is yours hello and good morning to to everyone uh, and uh, thank you very much for inviting uh, me to take part in this debate. Um, I'm um, uh, primarily involved because I have a, I'm involved in the, the uh, European Battery Alliance, uh, which is um, uh, a key uh, driver of our policy in the area of, um, of, of batteries. Um, and this is uh, batteries as uh, the European Battery Alliance was launched in 2017. So it's, um, it's already been going for some time. But it's been it's become increasingly uh, important, um, and uh, as as transport is such a uh, a large emitter of greenhouse gases, uh, around thirty percent of uh, EU emissions on its on its own, it's going to be uh, reducing those emissions is going to be critical to achieving the goals that we set out in the Green Deal uh, for cutting transport emissions by ninety percent by twenty fifty. And, and also uh, uh, high-level ambitions for uh, climate neutrality. So batteries has emerged as a key enabling technology for uh, low and, and zero emission mobility, but of course for uh, energy storage as well. So uh, really, um, the key the, the key issue is then how do we take this forward? There's there's a wide um, uh, consensus. Uh, Within the EU, at the EU level, and at national and regional areas, to that the, the the development of batteries and of uh, battery-powered uh, mobility is of critical importance uh, for our future, for climate reasons, for public health reasons, and also for future competitiveness uh, reasons as well. 
And so the idea behind the global, uh, uh, sorry, not the global, the European Battery Alliance is to um, establish a framework of uh, measures in which to ensure that there is a solid foundation for the development of the uh, battery um, uh, ecosystem within the European Union. Um, this uh, encompasses a wide range of areas, including legislation, which you just heard um, uh, very well described by Rosalinda. Um, and we have other measures in there as well, in particular to support uh, uh, future research, but to have a, um, a broad pa uh, package of, of measures, in also in, apart from the research, the support for the uh, establishment of uh, concrete projects, industrial projects, where we use the tool, the important uh, projects of common European interest, a state aid tool, and also um, uh, looking at the areas of skills, the transformation of the industry and of the, uh, uh, the development of batteries is going to require a whole new set of skills and a new workforce. So uh, reskilling is a major part of this um, work. And of course, there are other measures as well. I mean, the, I think the important point is that is to see this as part of a, uh, a broad framework because we will not achieve the battery power future that we want unless it is part of a broader framework. And I don't just mean the European Battery Alliance, but I mean the uh, broader framework, for example, the recent um, Fit for 55 package of measures, which includes um, uh, further limits on CO2 emissions and on the uh, introduction of um, much stronger measures to support alternative fuels infrastructure. So I think um, altogether, we have at the EU level, a real um, uh, set of measures where we can really drive forward the, the development of batteries and uh, of which of course, uh, legislation is going to be uh, a very key part of that, um, but uh, not on, uh, completely on its own. The, other issue, and this is the final issue on which I want to conclude, is of course the um, the Commission is not going to be able to achieve this by itself. It's, it's going to be in partnership with the European Parliament, with member states, with industry and other stakeholders. And a key role, I think, for us in the, in the Commission is to help build on the consensus that already exists and find practical and sustainable ways forward to achieve the transformation we want in this area. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, James. Uh, now I'll hand over to MEP Antonius Manders. Your opening remarks, please. Well, uh, thank you for the invitation. And uh, it's nice uh, to talk about uh, dreams and, uh, and also uh, reality. Um, I am the rapporteur in the Internal Market uh, Committee on Batteries and uh, uh, we first have seen already the, the problems uh, on political level that uh, um, the Committee of Presidents thinks it's better to give the responsibility, the competence to the Envy Committee instead of the internal market. Though I believe that we have to use the leverage of the internal market to achieve our goals. Um, I even think it's the first time that we can introduce our new strategic industry policy to be independent from third countries. Uh, that's one. Um, if I see that we need 60 times more um, uh, battery production sites than we got now to achieve our goals, 
then I think it's a huge uh, uh, hurdle to go over. And I hope that we can find these, uh, well, these these loopholes um, uh, to achieve our goals. But mm, uh, it, it, it will be difficult because the networks are not fit for it. Um, so the grids, um, it's, it's, there are many, many more problems than only putting um, a regulation on batteries. At the other end, if you don't start, you never will reach your goal. So I'm happy to start. And um, I think uh, uh, that a lot of Chinese uh, <coughs> factories already are preparing to invest in, in Europe to be prepared on the new legislation. Um, uh, to to reach the recycling goals, I am in favor of uh, an export ban uh, of battery or waste batteries uh, to outside the EU. But then we talk about competences, internal market. It's not the competences for an export ban, so we are depending on proposals of another committee. Um, I think member states are not happy with that. But if we want to have a closed material loop, then we have to introduce an export ban for waste batteries. That's what I think. Then I think that um, especially um, uh, cars uh, should have uh, a connection. Uh, I call it vehicle to, vehicle to buildings that we can, if because we use our cars only 5% of the time uh, per, per day, uh, and the 95% is parked somewhere. And I think we should connect these parked cars to buildings, uh, offices or housing or what else, uh, to have more storage. Because if we need the networks, then I think uh, that doesn't work at the end. So we need these, uh, let's say, uh, dynamic uh, storage uh, uh, batteries, which are in cars. Um, the... Um, I also think to be independent from third countries, uh, I think we need a huge fund, really a huge fund, uh, for R&D to, um, to work on uh, battery cells which are produced from raw materials which we can find in the EU, within the EU. And I've uh, already heard from some, uh, for example, from Tesla, that they are working on an iron uh, and phosphate uh, cell, and then iron, we have rather a lot in, in, in the EU, and we are then less uh, uh, dependent from lithium imported from Africa via China. Um, I think we made a mistake in the past uh, that we didn't follow the Chinese because they have invested already for the last 20, 30 years in strategic goals, for example, for raw materials for batteries. Um, and then there's another difficulty. We see that with gas now, the market in China is growing, 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 and they have a market of one and a half billion people who are eager to buy electric cars and uh, use the gas to heat their houses and their offices. And then we see that the global economy um, will be confused. So for that reason, I think we need uh, a strategic uh, industri uh, in industry policy to be independent and to use the leverage of the internal market to um, to achieve that. And, um, and of course, we have a free market, uh, but everybody who wants to sell their products on the internal market have to comply with, for example, due diligence. If we only want to compete on low prices, then we will lose for the future um, 
a lot in the industry sector and jobs, etc. We have seen that with uh, solar cells uh, production sites in Europe. Uh, we brought them to China for only, the only reason was lower cost of uh, production. And then we will lose because we have our social standards, we have our environmental standards, our technical standards. And if we don't combine them as it, within a holistic approach, I believe that uh, that's wrong. But on the other hand, with all these political hurdles that we got in a democracy, it's very difficult to achieve these goals. And I hope that politicians will be that wise that they can step over their, uh, how you call that, uh, they're proud uh, or the, to, uh, to achieve goals that we needed in, within the EU. And not that we are blocking, for example, in the Council or in, in, in the European Parliament. And I know that the European Commission is working hard, but, uh, well, we have to take more hurdles than only uh, uh, the European Commission. It's, it's the European Parliament, but then the Council. And I hope that they also believe in this uh, end goal that at least I support uh, for 200%. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Um, now we'll go to Alex Keynes to share the transport and environment perspective. Alex, the floor is yours. Thanks. Thanks very much, Sean. And uh, yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me uh, to another interesting discussion on batteries. Um, so uh, yeah, in in my uh, in, in my introductory remarks, I'd like to maybe address the kind of question about whether the battery regulation is fit for purpose and to what extent it can promote uh, a sustainable and obviously competitive uh, in industry in Europe that can challenge the incumbents uh, primarily in, in Asia. Um, so as we've heard already, and I think everyone here knows that the battery regulation proposed by the commission last year, this is the world's first sustainable battery law pr proposal. Um, and it's, you know, it, it really is a unique opportunity to, to introduce smart legislation to underpin the rapid growth um, that we're going to see and we need to see uh, in 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 the in a green ethical and world leading uh, battery supply chain in in Europe. Um, so how can how can the battery regulation be fit for purpose in in this in this uh, context? So I think there's a lot to be uh, celebrated in the Commission's proposal. Um, we of course um, support um, some some changes and amendments, uh, which I'm happy to maybe go into later. Um, but firstly, and, and that was already mentioned by MEP Manders, we fully support. Uh, uh, his his view on how this can help Europe become more competitive on binding rules for environmental and social due diligence throughout the battery uh, supply chain. So, in particular, um, you know, here ambitious and binding rules we think can help uh, promote uh, innovative uh, and and better material extraction practices uh, in Europe as well. Um, which you know, uh, for example. I'm thinking about uh, novel extraction methods like geothermal lithium. Um, you know, we don't have to source all our lithium from abroad, from third countries. There are um, there, there, there are uh, deposits and, and, and novel ways that we can actually extract this ourselves in, in Europe. And, you know, binding due diligence rules here can actually help promote some of the, these innovative practices in, in Europe. Um, again, for example, dry stacking nickel mine tailings, uh, things that, um, that, that, that European players ha have a real kind of competitive advantage over over uh, some of our competitors in in, in other in other regions uh, and and for this reason you know i i would call on policymakers to to reject calls that we've seen from industry and also in the council to to delay the implementation of these rules 
secondly, sustainable manufacturing. Um, you know, the, the the proposed carbon footprint rules as well, um, I think are really important. Uh, battery making needs a lot of energy. I think we know this. And it's essential that the new regulation supports and incentivizes the use of clean energy uh, and efficient manufacturing as well. And, and I think here it's important to say not just looking at everything, everything as a burden, but the, the maximum thresholds and, and, the, and the transparency around carbon footprint reporting can, again, it can help promote innovation in manufacturing. Um, test has already been mentioned, uh, but again, their use of um, something called dry electrode coating technology, which actually eliminates the use of, of ovens, which you need to dry the uh, the cathode um, material. So this this is an innovative process, which which can be you know which is incentivized by by having to reduce the carbon footprint of, of the production processes. Uh, and again, I urge policymakers. Uh, stick to at least what the European Commission has proposed in terms of timeline implementation. It, European companies are at an advantage compared to other uh, players in the market who operate in countries and regions with a much more carbon intensive energy grid. So here again, the European companies can really get um, uh, a foot up, let's say. Uh, the third point I just want to quickly make in the introductory remarks is, is on recycling. Um, I think you know we, we've heard a lot about you know closing the material loop, and I think few people today question the benefit of, of recycling. Um, and, and you know, crucially, from an auto a strategic autonomy point of view, it obviously helps secure these critical metals in Europe once they've actually been imported. Um, so, but at the moment, the issue is that most of our lithium-ion batteries are sent to China, um, and that's where most of the recycling takes place today. Europe has inadequate lithium-ion battery recycling capacity or, or expertise. Um, currently estimated at only 33,000 tonnes a year, which is dwarfed by, by Chinese uh, um, capacity. This is obviously going to be insufficient when we start seeing all of these lithium-ion batteries come to the end of their life um, from electric vehicles after 2030 come, come onwards. So I think here, ensuring investment uh, and increasing the cost competitiveness um, of, of these recycling technologies and, and improving their, you know, the, uh, investing in the right things um, through R&D funding, but crucially ambitious regulatory targets is thus a priority. We need the targets to, to, to drive the investment into these technologies, into these recycling technologies. Uh, and with this in mind, and I'll close on this, um, some of the targets proposed by the Commission, um, I'm thinking particularly for the lithium metal recovery target, are in our, in our views not fit for purpose um, with companies already today in other regions, already meeting much higher recovery rates for lithium, which shows that the technology is, is there. Um, so so um, with those introductory remarks, yeah, I'd like to say that obviously uh, a very important proposal, um, but some, some work to be done. Thank you very much indeed, Alex. Um, now I uh, see that we're joined by Professor Emma Kendrick. Um, Emma, I'll give you the floor immediately for your opening statement, please. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. So I'm uh, Chair of Energy Materials at the University of Birmingham in the UK. Um, and my interests are around sustainable battery technologies. And I come very much more from uh, an ap academic point of view and a, and a research point of view. Now, to develop a sustainable battery technology, we've already heard about some of the challenges and thoughts um, around this. But we do need to start thinking about it in a circular economy approach from the materials that come in, uh, the raw materials that are used in the manufacturing of the active components that go into the battery, 
Also, manufacturing. I mean, manufacturing is actually quite energy intensive, um, particularly in some of the formation and conditioning steps, for example. So are there alternative manufacturing or manufacturability that we need to consider when we're moving to next generation technologies or even current generation technologies? And of course, changing manufacturing actually has quite a lot of implications in terms of investment, particularly in factories. A huge amount of investment is needed to change some of these processes, which is in part why we may already be um, stuck, let's say, with some of the current processing, just because the level of investment that's required to change these processes. Now, it's just not just about the materials, the manufacturing of the materials or the manufacturing of the cells. It's about the longevity of the cells uh, and the cells in life. If something lasts a lot longer, then in terms of a sustainability approach that has a lower environmental uh, impact over the, the lifetime of the cell. Um, at the end of life, we then consider second life applications or potentially recycling. Um, and then recycling also has uh, techno-economic uh, considerations and environmental impacts that we need to consider when we start to reclaim or reuse some of these materials from end of life. If we can reclaim some of these materials from end, end of life, of, of which the European uh, Directive has, has given us some quite uh, stringent targets against that. We can start using these as secondary ores rather than primary ores um, to then feed back into the manufacturing process again. For me, there's some considerations that we need to think about around this. So currently in lithium ion technologies, as is uh, written in, in the document, we have several critical materials that are uh, being used. Lithium, cobalt uh, being the two uh, key metals. We also have nickel and manganese as well. But we also have things like phosphorus and graphite, which are also on the critical material list for Europe, which we also need to consider about what the life cycle of those materials are and how we can reclaim those or reuse or whether it's even economically viable to do so within some of these recycling processes. Now, one of the options that we have for um, sustainability is to substitute some of those critical materials for alternatives. So we're looking at potential next generation battery technologies, such as things like sodium ion, for example. Now, if we substitute lithium for sodium, and then we start to substitute the cobalt for things like iron and manganese, then the value of the materials within the actual battery is significantly lower than, for example, in a lithium ion battery that contains lithium and cobalt. So then we need to consider very much the techno-economics around the reclamation of those materials. Is it actually economically viable to do so? Um, and are the recycling processes that are in place suitable to be able to reclaim those materials? Now, there's different things that we can reclaim. We can do direct loop recycling, short loop recycling, um, take everything back to the metallic components. Um, from my point of view, I would suggest that what we need to consider in, in terms of alternative technologies is actually then the lifetime. And it's the lifetime of these cells that are going to be really key to maintain that 
sustainability or improve the sustainability of those new technologies. Whereas the value of the lithium ion batteries is so much more than, for example, the sodium ion. Um, we also need to consider the manufacturing methods. Uh, we have very high energy processes, particularly in the formation and conditioning. And from a research point of view, this offers quite a lot of scope for looking at alternatives. And I think that this, this is part of the key processes within manufacturing that we do need to consider. Um, and so finally, just to, to kind of summarize some of the work that we do in our interests, sustainability is not just about the, the materials that are coming through, where they're obtained from, but it's about the full circular economy approach. And I do think very much that this uh, new um, directive is trying to address some of those issues and some of those problems, whether or not it'll have knock-on effects to, to other things, particularly in terms of using the recycled materials back into a battery again, because as far as I understand and reading through the documents, um, it doesn't actually specify where those recycled materials are coming from. So it could come from somewhere outside of Europe, which in my mind doesn't really address the questions of circular economy approach. Um, there's a lot of scope here. I think it's really good to have those um, ambitions. And I also think by having that written down in terms of research, we will be trying to address some of those problems accordingly. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you very much indeed, Professor Kendrick. Um, I'll now give the floor to Adam McCarthy, who is the president of the Cobalt Institute. Uh, Adam, your opening statement, please. Um, Sean, thank you. Um, it's really a pleasure to be um, able to take part in the discussion this morning and to be engaging with such a a, a distinguished panel of speakers with such a range of, of, of ideas and, and questions which I think are, are critically important. Um, before making comments on, on the regulation, I just wanted to say a couple of words about um, the Cobalt Institute, Cobalt itself, particularly the role that Cobalt plays um, in batteries um, and why um, the regulation is a particularly important piece of legislation for the Cobalt industry. Uh, the Cobalt Institute is the global association representing the cobalt uh, industry and value chain. Um, we have around 75% of the global cobalt market in our membership, including some of the large um, cobalt producers, cobalt processors, and ultimately cobalt users. Um, cobalt generally is produced um, as a byproduct of either uh, nickel or copper production. Um, we actually only have one pure um, cobalt mine in the world um, in Morocco. The other 95-ish percent is, 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 a, is a byproduct. Of the supply of cobalt, and we've heard already quite a bit about that this morning, around 65% of cobalt is sourced from um, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, other sources, um, critical and key sources, include the likes of Australia and Canada. And around 10% of cobalt today is recycled. Um, whilst cobalt is used in a variety of applications, um, it is batteries which dominate um, uses of cobalt. So today, around 57% of global cobalt um, production is going into, into batteries, whether that be for electric vehicles, energy storage, or portable uh, electric devices such as mobile phones and, and, and tablets. 
But you can see why the regulation is such a critical piece of legislation for the cobalt industry. In terms of where cobalt is used on in the battery, cobalt is used on the cathode side of the battery, whereas energy density um, helps provide range for the vehicle. It is also there to, to support the energy stability of the battery and the overall durability and sustainability of the battery. We believe that these features give the vehicle uh, the range and durability that is needed by consumers uh, and to help support this transition to the, uh, zero emission mobility. Indeed, without cobalt, the carbon calculation of the electric vehicle is similar to that of the internal combustion engine. So therefore, we believe that cobalt is critical to our goal of electrifying the vehicle fleet, reducing emissions from, from, from transport. In addition to batteries, cobalt is used in energy storage. Uh, it's used in wind turbines and solar panels. And given its uh, recyclability, it, it offers uh, a huge contribution to the potential of the economy and can even in, be used to produce green hydrogen. So therefore, cobalt, we believe, is a critical material to the energy transition and the broader green transition that Europe is seeking to uh, undertake. Looking now very briefly at the battery regulation itself, the coal industry is broadly very supportive of many of the key elements in the proposal, including requirements to increase traceability of battery materials and the rules on their responsible sourcing. We also welcome efforts to increase recycling, but do believe that a calculation methodology is necessary before we actually start to set specific targets. However, as you would expect, we do have concerns about other elements, indeed some emissions from the proposal. We don't necessarily need to see the need for battery materials to have their own chemicals management regime when we already have um, REACH and feel that the focus should be on making REACH work for all chemical substances. One key area um, that we believe that the um, regulation is omitting is that it only focuses on one lithium ion um, battery chemistry and makes no provision to include current and fast growing technologies and future chemistry. Um, in, in proposed materials targets for recycling and recycled content. We believe a failure to take account of um, new and emerging technologies and indeed uh, existing technologies such as the lithium ion phosphate batteries which have been spoken about um, would, would lead to um, the creation of an unbalanced playing field of missing out on the recycling and sustainability benefits of including these technologies. We would therefore support and an automated mechanism to include these 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 technologies into the into the uh, regulation. So I'll stop there and um, look forward to the discussion. And uh, um, thank everyone for joining today. Indeed, for these opening <laughs> remarks, um, we can now move to the uh, question and answer section, the wider discussion section of today's event. Um, so maybe, uh, James, I can start with you. Um, so Vice President Sefcovic has called for Europe to be strategically autonomous in the production of batteries. Um, how close are we to achieving that? Do you think we can break our reliance on Asia? Yes, no, thank you very much uh, for that. Um, I mean, it, it's very difficult to, to say 
uh, how close we are, given that uh, the situation changes on a daily basis in terms of uh, uh, new projects announced, um, uh, revisions on existing capacities announced, and of course, uh, very dramatic growth in um, the sales of electric uh, vehicles, also pushing up demand. Um, we have seen that, uh, uh, the, the, according to um, published of capacities, um, uh, expected that um, achieving uh, this goal um, could be um, realistic by 2025. But it's so um, uh, uh, it, it's it's difficult to to predict with any certainty given uh, the rapid changes in in the uh, growth in demand and the growth in capacity. But uh, it's certainly uh, realistic, um, not uh, not a dream. Um, but I just briefly want to add a couple of things on this. I think this um, strategic autonomy is. Uh, it is an important feature. It's an important feature of the uh, uh, EU's um, industrial uh, policy, where in key strategic sectors, it's important uh, uh, that the European uh, the European Union uh, has um, uh, capacity. So um, while we're saying that um, the uh, we want to see uh, growth in uh, uh, the capacity of the uh, production capacity of the uh, EU manufacturing, is this is to uh, ensure that the EU remains a uh, player in this very important strategic area for the growth of our economy and for our, our climate goals. It's also um, an area where we want to see that um, we have the investment in Europe in innovation, in the new um, uh, generation of batteries, some of the um, uh, chemistries that we've heard about from the, the previous speakers. And this is what um, we can get when we have um, European uh, 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 manufacturers developing batteries here. And, and so I think it's, it's not that um, we want to turn Europe into a, a sort of fortress Europa to keep out competition. It's just that we want to ensure that there are EU manufacturers uh, competing on the global market, of course, within uh, Europe, and also have the capacity to develop the innovation uh, for the future, which is so important, particularly in the area of mobility, where the EU has traditionally been a, a, center, a global center of excellence for uh, uh, automotive manufacturing and uh, innovation. Thank you. Thank you, James. Um, Adam, I'd like to ask you the same question regarding the viability of uh, strategic autonomy. Um, I think it's a, a phrase that we hear a lot about. As, as an organization, we also engage globally, not just at the European level, and we see this conversation happening in other, other geographies, such as the United States, where there are general concerns about security of supply, um, manufacturing in different part, parts of the world. I think um, James mentions a number of areas that, that I think will be critical as Europe seeks to develop its, its own um, battery industry, and that, that's around um, investment, access to funding. I think the critical um, point that we would make is, is that um, whilst there is ambition to um, seek to source materials from a diverse a, um, background as possible, we can't um, unfortunately uh, change uh, geology. So we will still be re reliant upon 
um, certain supplies of our natural materials, including cobalt, from um, places like the DRC. And I think then our challenge is obviously then to ensure that we're getting that supply in a way that is both responsible and sustainable, but also transparent. And certainly some of the proposals in the battery regulation do, do allow for that. But I think it's also um, necessary then that we do look to, to, to recycle so that we're ensuring almost that that, that, that so-called indigenous supply. So whilst Europe certainly can make steps in the right direction, I think it has to also acknowledge that, that, that we always are going to be part of a global trading system. We are going to be part of global supply and value chains and, and, and need to uh, act accordingly. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Alex, um, I believe this is also a topic that you would like to comment on. Yeah, um, well, I mean, to, to be honest, I, I kind of co covered uh, a lot of um, the issues around around Europe being uh, strategically autonomous in, in my uh, in, the, in in my opening remarks. I think you know the the proposal is a very good good start. Um, as I said, I think there are areas where where Europe is clearly catching up. Um, one of the areas I, I mentioned was was obviously recycling, and where where clearly. Um, the the regulation needs to to incentivize the right the right investment signals and 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 um and to make sure that europe has the capacity to 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 compete with with um uh with 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 other regions particularly asia and you know obviously that we're not sending all of our um our, our end of life batteries to uh, abroad to third countries and we're actually recycling and getting back all these critical materials and keeping them keeping them in in in, in europe um as i said i think um some of the uh, the ways that we can promote our strategic autonomy, um, I think, are, are are the three areas. I, I well, as 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 well as kind of promoting the safer economy within within the continent. I think as well, um, where European companies and and Europe itself can, as MEP Manda said, can, we can export our values via the internal market. Obviously, the internal market, the European internal market, is an unavoidable market for for third countries and for. Um, for uh for players who, who want to sell into our market of course um and you know we should use um these ambitious environmental and, and, and social rules to actually imprint our, our our values and you know kind of have this um uh multiplier effect um across across the world and that's kind of one of the main things that this regulation can do at the same time by setting ambitious targets on you know the carbon footprint of these batteries as i said before this can um you know help companies operating firstly in, in countries with a lower carbon footprint energy input but it will also um lead to you know in, innovation and um and, and more efficient production processes uh and and you know ultimately things that will help uh, not only improve the environmental uh performance of batteries but will you know drive the competitiveness of, of this new industry that, that we have in europe and that we want to ultimately support and an ambitious regulation is one way we can support this new industry in europe Thank you very much. Um, well, I want to turn now to uh, MEP Manders. I'd also like, to, uh, Rosalina, I'd also like to get your views on this. Um, just it's regarding actually getting this proposal uh, passed into legislation. So discussions in the council have seen um, concerns raised uh, over the recycling targets included with some smaller member states. They, they see them perhaps as unrealistic. Um, do you worry that as this is a regulation, it may be difficult to roll out 
across the block. Um, maybe MEP Manders, I'll go to you first. Well, <laughs> what we need is a new way of thinking if you want to achieve these goals. And what we do now still, I, at least that's what I'm confronted with, that there are, I call them uh, paid blocking organizations. We are all talking about existing uh, procedures, existing uh, ways of producing. And I think we need a complete new innovative way of thinking and to combine all sectors. Um, for example, I think we need to combine the designers, the production sites, uh, the, the users, the recycling uh, uh, industry, but also the networks to achieve this uh, circular economy. If we, if we still are thinking as we are used to, then I feel that we never can achieve this. And what I see in a lot of uh, member states, that there is a growing, uh, let's say, negative approach about the EU, and that's why the national politicians are afraid of introducing new ways of, uh, of, of, let's say, new ways of thinking because they are bashed in their member states and that is blocking too. That's why I fear that the council uh, will be the biggest problem to achieve this uh, um, green revolution, which we need actually, because that's what all scientists say. And if we cannot uh, convince the, 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 the European people, uh, then we can't convince the politicians. And then, well, it, it will be a halfway go. And that's, uh, then we are never achieving uh, our goals. I believe that we have to focus on the impossible to achieve the highest possible uh, achievements. And uh, it's a way of thinking. And, I'm happy that I convinced my colleague uh, Simona Bonafesi, she's the, uh, the, the uh, she's the rapporteur in Envy. We are working close together, and I think the Parliament will have, uh, let's say, will have uh, in in half a year um, um, a compromise which is workable. But then we have to convince the Council, and I fear that a lot. What I also see is that. Uh, mm, uh, administrate the, the let's say the civil servants from uh, the people from the European Commission. They say, well, Mr. Manders, don't put it in this regulation because we have the Eco Design uh, Directive or we have this directive. And if we don't have a holistic approach and we want to put everything in separate uh, 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 blocks, then I think we never will achieve our goals. And if we all are uh, convinced that it's necessary, then we have to change our minds to have an uh, uh, a new way of thinking, which might be innovative, but uh, that's what we need. And that's why I, I'm happy that there are so many young uh, uh, people um, involved in this, uh, in this process, because they are the future. So let's uh, go on. Thank you. Thank you, MEP Manders, for those uh, inspiring words. Um, Rosalina, I'd also like to ask you the same question. Do you worry that as this is a regulation, it may be difficult to roll out uniformly across the block and indeed difficult uh, to be accepted by the Council? Thank you for, for this question. And uh, I cannot uh, agree more with Mr. Manders that we have to really mobilize the 
power of the internal market for sustainability. I think like this is this is absolutely crucial, and this is a point that the Commission is making time and time again. Uh, um, and uh, actually, a regulation is the perfect instrument to do so. To have uh, the level playing field at the European level, the same for everybody. The rules of the game, the same for everybody, and uh, that really we can um, uh, use uh, this our biggest achievement in the EU, which is our internal market uh, for the purposes of advancing on our green transition. And once that we think in terms of the internal market, the EU with all uh, uh, the consumers, the producers, then we see that whether a country is big or small, as such, it doesn't make such a big difference because uh, uh, all the countries can meet the requirements of the regulation. Uh, they can meet the collection time targets, then uh, those batteries uh, can be shipped where there is capacity to recycling. We hope that with, with this new stimulus, also with the demand which is growing for the raw materials, uh, uh, this recycling capacity would increase in the European Union. And uh, this would also mean that, uh, it, it, as I said, it does not matter if a country is big or small for achieving compliance with the requirements as such. We have uh, made an in-depth impact assessment on all the impact that uh, that come in as such uh, recycling and many of the requirements uh, they are already existing in the current batteries directive uh, but what we are here really trying to do is is to connect uh, the end of life to the design and make both ends meet and in this way really promote the the sustainability transition so with think that uh, the regulation is, is a perfect instrument to do so. Uh, we think that we have to keep the internal market legal basis so that uh, we really can use the power of our internal market and then its leverage. And uh, we believe that the targets, they are ambitious, um, they are stretching, uh, but we need this kind of targets and requirements in order to advance and to make sure that uh, indeed we are more resilient by sourcing more and more our material materials in the waste because a battery is a perfect example of how hazardous and how harmful something could be if it's not treated uh, um, with care and how uh, promising it could be and then source of all those valuable materials if we ensure that there is proper treatment of batteries. So, so that's why this is the change that we want to, to promote and, and uh, we are very much aware that there will be innovation. We want to actually direct the innovation in a certain direction with, with these rules uh, but at the same time indeed um, uh, the technologies would develop and then uh, we see that at European, uh, at, at European level we become faster and faster in uh, in actually adapting to market developments and that that's a very good development as well and I believe that uh, there are also sufficient uh, elements in the regulation that would allow us uh, for uh, um, actually being more adaptive to future innovation and development while uh, steering also innovation uh, to where we want to see more of it so I stop here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, maybe um, keeping on that topic of innovation, uh, maybe Professor Kendrick, I can turn to you. Um, so the battery regulation includes specific targets for the percentage of recycled content that must be included in batteries manufactured in the EU. But critics have said that these requirements could hinder the development of new battery technology 
as using recycled materials, they say, has limitations, and perhaps this could prevent experimentation. Um, in your opinion, could a reliance on recycled content harm innovation? I mean, that's actually a good question. I think that it, there's kind of twofold with that. One, we've already spoken about being reliant on one type of um, chemistry within these current regulations, which is generally around cobalt containing cathodes, um, nickel and manganese. There are options for innovation even with these materials. So we can reclaim the materials, we can reprocess them, we can use them back in the cell. And we've already shown from a research point of view that there is a possibility to reclaim and reuse the transition metals and then reprocess them, make a cathode, which is current cathode rather than old generation of cathode with a slightly different ratio of transition metals and put that back in the battery. Um, we have very much focused on the transition metals to date. There are other components within the cells which are on the critical material list for Europe as well. Things like graphite, um, phosphorus, um, as well as lithium and cobalt. And I do think that we need to start to consider other components within the battery system as well, not just the high value components for, for recycling and reclamation. It also does give us an opportunity for innovation, I think. So we can take what has been produced from the recycling and then upscale it potentially, looking at next generation uh, materials. So just to give you um, a, an idea for lithium reclamation, quite often sodium is actually used in a process to reclaim lithium, the solvate process is very well known. Um, that introduced sodium, I know I've spoken about sodium a lot, but sodium into the, the system that we could start looking then potentially at utilising those materials in a zero waste kind of ethos for um, innovations. And the other thing is around the iron and the phosphate. Um, we, we heard from Antonio Mandas er, earlier about lithium iron phosphate is an important thing to can start to consider as well, because that is being introduced into the market in various different technologies, including automotive. And this also needs to be look at, looked at in terms of reclamation of the materials and recycling, particularly as phosphorus is one of the critical materials. There's potential to then utilize these along with the other transition metals and the fluorides that are produced to, again, look at innovation, upscale, use the materials that we have to manufacture new ones. I do think there's a huge room here for innovation in, and we're not limited. Um, the, the, we can use our imagination to whatever comes next. Thank you very much. Um, MEP Manders, I believe you need to leave uh, soon, but I have a question from the chat uh, from the audience here for you. It's from Silke Conrad. Um, how can you ensure stability to industry when there are far too many delegated acts in the proposal on very technical issues that will require one, lead time, and two, clear technical guidance before implementation? Um, do you agree with that statement that there are too many delegated acts in the proposal? Uh, no, because we need delegated acts uh, uh, to be actual. If we now prescribe everything in this regulation, then it's not a dynamic uh, um, uh, way of working, and we need it. And I 
I have faith in the quality of the people at the commission to work together with the industry if they do so, because sometimes I'm also uh, disappointed in these delegated acts. But if you want to be dynamic, you have to have the possibilities to to change uh, during uh, during the, the, the process. Because, uh, for example, if there is a new material uh, discovered of which we can produce uh, battery cells, then we have to allow that, of course. And you can't, if you if you're not aware of them now, but next year we are then I think that the commission should have the possibility to change that. And um, we need a way, a new way of thinking. And um, uh, that, that means that also the European industry, because the the overall goal of this uh, of this regulation is first uh, to reach uh, the Green Deal, uh, our our green um, uh, targets, that's one. Secondly, uh, to provide the European consumers with uh, sustainable uh, ways of transport. But third, and perhaps the most important, to protect our own European industry. And if then the industry is is uh, uh, fighting against uh, the, 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 the legislation, that's not really helpful. I think we need altogether to achieve our uh, our uh, uh, goals that, that of which we are all convinced that it's necessary to achieve them. And, so we have to leave the old way of thinking that uh, we want to have less legislation. No, actually, I believe that we need more legislation to have higher standards in the EU, within the EU, to use the leverage of the EU. And if uh, companies from outside the EU want to do business within the internal market, then they have to comply with these higher standards. That means that then we have a level playing field. If we go to the bottom, with our uh, legislation as we did in the past, and that we only focus on, on price setting, then we will lose. And then uh, in 25 years, uh, Europe is a museum for rich uh, Chinese tourists. And I want to avoid that, uh, not for me, but for my children and my grandchildren. So I hope that the industry sees that too, that it is for them to protect for the future. Thank you very much indeed. Um, well, I'd like to turn now to Adam, um, just looking at the regulation. Um, so some industry leaders have expressed concern uh, about the ambitious timelines in the regulation, particularly regarding third-party verification. Um, do you share the concerns that the timelines are too am ambitious? Um, I think there is, there is you know, as, as, as Alex said earlier, I think we do need some ambition in the regulation to really drive forward and really drive the potential change. But I think we also have to be realistic that we can't change systems overnight. We have to have time. We have to have the ability for industry to prepare to implement the various elements in, in the regulation. So I think we do have to sometimes temper that ambition with um, the reality on, on, on the ground. And I think we also got into an important discussion around the use of delegated acts. These are um, quite technical pieces of um, regulation which will take time to develop, which will take time to actually go through the process. So whilst ambition is there, I think we also have to acknowledge that, that, that it, it is gonna, you know, we are going to require time to both put the the more technical detailed rules into place and allow industry to, to, to implement that so i think i think certainly as we as we move forward in the discussion we do have to have to 
you know, bear that in mind. But I, I think we also need to not lose the, the, the urgency here. I mean, we're talking about needing to make the green transition, the energy transition. The climate crisis is upon us now. We don't really have five or 10 years to wait. We have to act now. So there is need for speed. There is need for ambition as well. Thank you very much indeed, Adam. Um, well, Alex, I'd like to go to you now. Um, so in a recent position paper, the European Automobile Manufacturers Association expressed uh, concern that the EU batteries regulation could drive up the cost of batteries and ultimately make electric vehicles more expensive. Um, what do you think? Could this law make EVs more expensive? Well, it's a it's a very interesting question and uh, one which we are as transport environment incredibly uh, interested in. I mean, uh, transport environment for those uh, of, of you who, who know us and, and what we're about, we um, you know are calling for uh, the complete decarbonisation of, of, of transport. Well, in particular, I'm focusing on road transport. So you know, road transport needs to be completely decarbonised. Um, by 2050, and we see by far the biggest, um, the, 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 the best solution for that as, as electrification, direct electrification. So the last thing we will want to do as transport environment is raise the cost of EVs um, and batteries, of course. So I think it's important to say that the momentum and the drivers for the battery cost reduction that we've been seeing over the last years, a massive cost reduction in battery, um, uh, lithium-ion batteries, um, these greatly exceed any potential costs um, from additional requirements um, that we will see from the regulation. Uh, I'll explain what I mean. That firstly, the drop in battery costs is driven by primarily two things: so economies of scale uh, and technology improvements uh, in, in the battery chemistry, so around battery density. These two parameters will continue to improve at a very strong rate over the next years and are really very limitedly impacted by the new requirements. Um, in, in, in the battery regulation. So economies of scale, we're, we're seeing, um, you know, these are well underway in Europe. Um, our latest kind of um, in-house monitoring of, 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 of battery production plans in Europe, we, we see at least 27 battery gigafactories uh, plans now with um, uh, investment confirmed and offtake agreements uh, with, 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 with users um, confirmed. There's many more in the pipeline as well. You know, this will be a tenfold increase in output um, in, in Europe over the next uh, five years. Um, our calculations actually show there's going to be a massive excess of battery supply uh, compared to EU demand. This indicates it's going to be a highly competitive market as well. Um, so, you know, we, we really don't expect, um, we, we expect the opposite, to be honest, that the battery prices will continue to, 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 to fall with the price decrease pressures continuing to, 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 to tell. Um, so another thing actually to say is that when something comes in as a standard across industry, which this will clearly do as it's a regulation, we don't see that costs go up. Um, for example, um, the car CO2 regulation is a good example. Car makers always complain that this would put them out of business. Um, and every single time a new standard comes in, of course, that doesn't happen. Um, we, we haven't seen more efficient cars go up in price. Um, the only uh, this is only the case um, if companies do so voluntarily, um, so-called kind of green premiums. If this is going to come in, obviously as an industry standard, of course, will be absorbed across the whole sector. Um, I think uh, you know just to very very briefly say, um, and I think the Commission can say more about this, obviously because of the impact assessment that, that, that was undertaken. But uh, in in terms of the the 
the actual costs foreseen for some of these measures, um, these are incredibly minimal costs uh, across the whole industry. So, for example, the due diligence obligations, the Commission foresees an annual cost of just between two and 20 million euros. Um, and, you know, the, the greatly outweighed by the by the benefits of, of companies improving their their knowledge of, of their operations and supply chains and being able to detect risks early. Of course, this prevents actually massive risks in the company's exposure to large, large crises or, 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 or risks that, are, you know, in a company's supply chain that can expose them to longer term um, damage and uh, through, you know, um, uh, re reputational damage. Again, um, the the proposals on carbon footprint um, are going to the, the the reporting requirements are going to be incredibly minimal administrative costs. So, you know, overall these potential costs obviously will be outweighed by by the benefits. Will we shall improve the the, the, the internal market? Uh, and again, actually, um, as we've heard uh, from Emma Kendrick, these batteries are going to last much longer than originally expected, which means that um, you know these going these batteries are going to retain much more. Uh, residual value for the actual end users, reducing costs for consumers. So I think, you know, just uh, saying that, that these extra requirements are going to push up the price of EV batteries is really kind of just just a, a scare a scare story that, that really isn't bearing true and, and won't and won't bear true in, in reality. Well, thank you, Alex. Um, I'd also like to hear the Commission's perspective on this um, this idea that this policy could actually make electric vehicles more expensive. Um, James, maybe I'd, I'd ask for your input on this. Yes, well, um, th thank you for that. I, no, I, I'm coming in from what uh, Alex has just said. Uh, at least everything we've um, uh, seen so far is that there's been a quite um, steady and sometimes dramatic falls in the costs of the batteries. Um, and therefore the, the, the cost of elect, electric cars. Uh, and we expect this battery um, uh, cost to uh, fall, particularly with the massive investments that's now going into the new technologies and the ramp up and production, which will make, um, uh, with economies of scale, make batteries uh, cheaper. Um, now, there are, of course, other pressures that uh, um, which have just Alex has also summarized as well which might start put costs the other other way but this is um, I th think um, all the evidence we've seen so far and uh, and some uh, very recent reports have come out to show that uh, uh, we're not far away from when uh, um, the total cost of ownership is of an electric vehicle is compatible with a petrol and diesel car so um, we have to be careful about this, but um, I think there's uh, good reasons to be optimistic. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I'm uh, aware that we're moving towards a close of our event, but Rosalina, I want to ask you uh, one question. It's also come up, um, this idea has come up in the chat. Um, so there's concern over the idea of double regulation, um, particularly that the upcoming Sustainable Corporate Governance Directive will add complexity and make it more difficult for industry to comply. Um, is industry right to have these concerns over uh, double regulation? Uh, Rosalina, I'll ask you. 
Not really. Uh, whenever we, we make our European legislation, new rules and rules, we, we ensure that everything is compatible and it has added value. So uh, in particular, when we are talking about instruments that uh, come uh, so closely uh, uh, to, to each other in terms of timing, in terms of objectives, and uh, uh, indeed, in the context of uh, the European Green Deal, uh, I don't think that uh, there should be worries uh, that there will be double regulation. Of course, we always have some more general rules that are applicable, and then we have uh, the so-called Lex Specialis, so the special rules. Uh, and uh, uh, here in the batteries regulation, as regards uh, due diligence and then and, and, uh, uh, those requirements on sustainable sources uh, sourcing, we really believe that uh, we've got the balance right because we address those materials that are uh, really crucial for the production of batteries and also where we will see the demand grow in the future because of the increase in batteries demand. So uh, the balance uh, that is there in terms of what we regulate in the batteries regulation is right. We have had many discussions, uh, internal and external. Uh, you know that uh, in terms of, um, of how this proposal was uh, drafted and then uh, put forward by the commission, it's unique cooperation between all uh, uh, strands of, of, of the commission. So it, it's um, uh, the internal market dimension, the environmental dimension, the trade dimension, everything is such uh, um, uh, uh, converged in, into, into this very specific proposal. So uh, I would not uh, say that uh, uh, there is a risk of uh, double regulation, neither as regards corporate governance no, nor as regards reach. This was another element that was brought up, but uh, uh, the rules, uh, no matter what decision in the end it is taken, uh, uh, they're also fully compatible with, with reach. And uh, at the same time, we would like to have, uh, uh, let's say, uh, in the agenda of, of, of reach, uh, um, more emphasis, more priorities uh, uh, given to uh, those critical materials that we need for batteries. So, so that is uh, uh, that that is my my reply to it. And, and uh, uh, I think that like if industry has uh, specific um, uh, concerns, uh, uh, it, it's better to stay specific also what exactly and how. But uh, in terms of uh, overall and uh, consistency, and, and also in terms of the detail, I think that we've we've got it right. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm looking at the time and we only have about six minutes left. Um, so I do want to give you each the chance to give a closing remarks. Um, so um, maybe then I can ask each of you to summarize your main message that you would like our audience to, to take home with them. Um, I'd ask you to keep this uh, as brief as possible so that we don't uh, run over time. Um, well, let me start with um, Adam McCarthy, the president of the Cobalt Institute. Um, Adam, the floor is yours. Sean, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for such an interesting discussion and debate. Um, I think we, we've touched on a, a wide range of issues and concerns around the, 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 the battery legislation, other pieces of legislation, um, where we, we, we certainly would uh, Welcome, welcome further alignment. I think from, from our discussion, it's clear today that batteries play a key role in the green transition, and, and cobalt plays a key, a, a key role in batteries. 
So as we look to set Europe's regulatory environment for the next 10 or 15 years, we need to ensure that cobalt and all battery materials are really able to play the role um, in the transition to a sustainable um, economy in both an open and transparent fashion. We will be working towards this goal and look forward to our continued discussion. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, now I'll go to Professor uh, Emma Kendrick. Um, your short closing remarks, please. Uh, okay, so I think this offers a huge room for innovation, both in terms of materials, materials design, manufacturing and recycling. And as been, we, we've discussed within this forum, it needs a very much a holistic approach to design and manufacturing with a design for disassembly in mind as we're doing our developments. Um, and this will join up many of the different industries within Europe from all producers to materials manufacturers and cell manufacturers. Thank you very much. Um, now I'll give the floor to uh, Alex for your closing remarks. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Sean. So, I mean, something I wanted just to quickly cover that I didn't properly cover before um, is, is on the lithium uh, recycling target or the material recovery target. So, I mean, this, the Commission, uh, so that um, uh, we've heard, obviously, that, you know, there's ambitious targets in the regulation. This is broadly true. But I think one of the big weaknesses is, is the mediocre uh, lithium recovery target that we see uh, of just 35 percent um, for 2026 um, and 70 percent for 2030. Um, we we know that the companies in other regions um, are already today recovering 90% plus lithium from more uh, from, from from better, more uh, innovative and, and newer recycling technologies. So, you know, the battery regulation should be designed to promote technical innovation and ensure investments that we need. Setting these comparatively lower rates in Europe is not going to do anything uh, to make European industry more competitive on, on the global market and will discourage investments, you know, in, in, in better technologies. We're basically saying, you know, lithium is going to play a greater role in future battery technologies like, like solid state batteries. So we're basically saying, uh, you know, to, 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 to recycling companies, you can uh, discard 65% of the lithium up to 2030. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the right incentive or, or, or signal. Um, I think a final, uh, a, a final message would be just to say to policymakers, don't be afraid of, of ambition or, you know, uh, the timelines. We shouldn't be delaying timelines. The, the, the longer that we give um, more established incumbent players in, in other regions of the world, the more time we give them to catch up with these new rules um, that we're setting, um, is 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 more time, as I say, to 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 to, to let them catch up with, with 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 the rules that we're setting in Europe, and and and, let, and and you know, giving less uh, opportunity for, for for European startups to to really get a, a, a foothold in in this new market. Thank you. Uh, now, Rosalina, I'll hand over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I must say that, uh, first of all, thank you for, for the indeed the wealth of this debate and all the issues brought up. Actually, after this debate, I, I feel reassured that uh, we've done the right thing uh, from the Commission and uh, we've done it relatively well. Well, there are some details uh, on one or the other side which, which could be better, but that the general balance in our proposal and, and um, uh, uh, its orientation towards uh, the future 
future of a growing market where we want to uh, have our competitive age is actually uh, right and then uh, and then we should go for green batteries that power a green future. And we have to indeed make sure that uh, uh, we mobilize both uh, our internal market and uh, our environmental policy achievement to uh, get to a new ambition. And uh, that would be one of the very concrete uh, deliverables of the new European Green Deal that is relevant uh, for key sectors, mobility, uh, um, uh, the communication, so so many of the things that we want to see us having this competitive edge uh, uh, that uh, uh, we have to get it right and we have to get it right quickly. So I hope that we will be ma we will manage to uh, advance swiftly uh, during uh, the French presidency uh, based on uh, the big achievement that was achieved in, in the in the Council, in the European Parliament, and to, uh, that we can start designing those and, and implementing uh, those rules and then getting into the more specific rules that will really make uh, uh, the change on the ground. So thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. And now, uh, James, I'll give you the floor for your closing remarks. Okay, no, thank you very much. And um, I will be very brief because I think Rosalina has really uh, summed up very well what uh, the Commission is, is trying to do. Uh, I think everyone agrees that the future must be battery powered if we are to achieve all our objectives. Uh, and I think, as I said before, the key role for the EU uh, in the Commission and other EU institutions is to ensure that we have the right framework in place that allows uh, uh, member states and regions, and in particular industry and, and others, to uh, get uh, to develop the uh, the batteries and the technologies and the innovation we need for the for the future. Uh, in particular, legislation is critical to ensure we have the uh, we have high, uh, the sustainable approach to battery manufacturing and putting high quality batteries on the market. Uh, also to create a level playing field. We want to, uh, of course, invest in the future um, through uh, uh, investment in European research. Um, the support from the European Investment Bank is huge, but this has all helped to encourage uh, industry to, to invest substantially in the future and in the region of 60 billion in the last couple of years each. So this is really important. And I just final point is to say, we want to have this uh, ensure that Europe remains uh, a center for uh, innovation uh, in this really key technology. It doesn't mean we're going to be, and I pick up the, um, the point that Adam made earlier, we're not going to be self-sufficient or autonomous in everything. Certainly we will be tempted on some raw materials to come in the future, but the importance of the circularity in principle which is built into the uh, legislative proposal and is behind a lot of the policies of the uh, European Commission is essential and it's something we need to build on. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, James. Well, that brings us to the close of today's conference, but I would like to thank uh, all of our panelists for their excellent contributions today. Uh, thank you to the Cobalt Institute for supporting today's debate. And of course, thank you to you, the viewers, for joining us. Um, if you want to watch this virtual conference back, you can find it online at the Euractive YouTube channel. Um, well, that's all from the Euractive studio for now. But in the meantime, take care, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.